Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Before we dive in, I want to thank our fans and listeners for taking the time to review our podcast. This one comes from Doralina50. It's titled, Just What I Needed. As a cancer survivor and caregiver, I appreciate the perspectives that this podcast gives to foster hope and emotional healing in its listeners. Cancer You is a must listen. Doralina50, thank you so much for your five-star rating and review. We really appreciate you. Penny Castleman is a certified life coach and keynote speaker. After navigating a breast cancer diagnosis, she's passionate about empowering clients to evolve and create a life that has them jumping out of bed to start their day. She's also the author of How to Get a Free Boob Job. (laughs) Penny, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here with you and your listeners. I couldn't say the title of your book without laughing. (laughs) You know what? And that was intentional, okay? Like everyone who, when it's in the store, everyone stops. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. So it's perfect. That's the goal of the title of a book, right? Yeah. It's to get people's attention. Great, great job. So take us back to the beginning. When did this odyssey begin? Wow. So I guess I really have to go in the way back machine. Um, and that is I lost my mom, uh, when I was eight years old and yeah, that was back in the seventies. So the advances that we enjoy today were not there. Um, did you lose her to cancer? I did. I did. I lost her to cancer. She had metastatic breast cancer. Um, and there was no genetic testing at the time. Um, and right. she was 32 when she passed. Oh, oh um, my goodness. Yeah. So that age, 32, really kind of followed me into early adulthood. Uh, I made it very clear to my doctors um, that I had lost my mom to metastatic breast cancer. So I made sure I was on an early track for detection. Um, and Good for you. yeah, it, it's just, you have to be the advocate for your own health. And so I made sure that I was. Um, and as I got closer to age 32, the it got a little bit louder in my head. Like, oh my gosh, like you, I can't imagine dealing with cancer right now. I'm so young. Um, And when I hit age 33, that was a very sobering birthday because at that, that year I realized I had outlived my mom. Um, And then the years kept going and I got to age 40 and I thought, surely I have beat the odds. And I really kind of let any worry, anxiety go. Um, 
because back then the doctors had, you know, always just kind of said, your mom's sisters don't have it. Your grandma doesn't have breast cancer. This could just be a complete fluke. Then we get to my 45th birthday, which is where my memoir picks up and starts with my story. Um, I was- And how long ago was that? That was five years ago. Okay, so recently. We're the same age. (laughs) Oh, yay. I know. Neither (laughs) one of us look our age. So congratulations to us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so- uh, on my 45th birthday, um, you know, I was planning parties and got a letter in the mail that said, oh, you know, your recent mammogram um, came back. We really would like to do an ultrasound. Now, I had had this request almost every time I had a mammogram. I just, okay. I had dense breast tissue. Every other time I had gone, clear bill of health got this one, didn't even phase me. Um, In fact, I was headed out of town for a small vacation and the clinic for the ultrasound was on the way. And so that's when I had scheduled it. So I'm like, we're just going to knock this out. We're going to knock this out before, um, you know, I go enjoy a weekend with friends. And then that's when everything just hit the fan. And I go into so much depth um, in my memoir about those events immediately that day that transpired. But um, I just remember- well, talk to us about that. Yeah. Talk to us about getting getting the ultrasound because you had done this before. So you I had worried. So yeah. yeah. So talk to us about that. Um, so the technician did the ultrasound and then before she started said, you know, should we find anything that um, I might need a second pair of eyes? So I might need to call the tech, uh, the doctor, you know, on call in. So I was like, mm, all right, go ahead. So she did her, her, her cursory review and she goes, um, I'm going to go get the doctor, but I will be right back. And so that was the first little like, hmm, I've never had the doctor called in before, but you know, I just chalked it up to, oh, this must be the technician's first day on the job or, you know, <laughs> maybe she is not quite sure how to use the machine, right? So then the doctor came in and she's just very calm, very kind, um, you know, looking at my right breast and she just said, you know what, don't worry, we'll be with you every step of the way. And I she said. had to hear nothing else. I turned into a water faucet. Like it was just, I mean, I lost it. And she, like the two women in the room were just like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? What are you going through right now? What are you thinking? And that's when I was just like, I... I lost my mom when I was eight, <laughs> you know, and I, you just couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. And she gave me a hug. And, you know, of course, in an ultrasound, they can't say 100% sure that what they see is cancer, right? That requires a biopsy. That requires a lab and pathology. And so, you know, 
she but couldn't. They thought it was. Yeah, and I'm like, they look at this all day long. <laughs> like, right? I'm pretty sure they probably know. So I ended up going to the con, uh, you know, the weekend, which was a music fest with some friends, and just kind of kept it to myself because I said, got to get the biopsy first, then the results. Um, and I told myself, like I kept telling myself and the few friends, when I came back that I did tell, they're like, well, you don't know yet. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I think I kind of do know. Like my mom died when she was 32 years old. Um, I just have a bad feeling. I have a gut feeling that right. this is what they say it is. And so, you know, I kept telling myself, kept telling myself, I got the, you know, the biopsy scheduled. I had the surgery lined up for everything. And I went in to meet with my surgeon and I was ready. You know, I wore a really awesome necklace that day, had my, you know, tr triple XL gown on sitting there going, I have cancer. Okay. We're going to just knock this out. We're just going to deal with it. But telling yourself you have cancer and then sitting across three feet away from a doctor who then confirms, oh, not the same thing. And I mm -hmm. lost it again. You know, it was one thing to tell myself and convince myself I was really going to have to do this. And then hearing it from a doctor, just, it was like the, yeah, it was bad. It's not good. Did you have anyone with you? I did. My boyfriend at the time, um, who was with me the entire duration of my cancer journey, um, was there with me. And then, you know, he got sad and then he started crying and, oh my, it was, <laughs> it was a rough day, uh, as everyone who has been given that diagnosis knows how hard it is the day that you actually get confirmation that that's what it is. Um, so, yeah. And what was the treatment plan? So because I had lost my mom at such, when she was so young, they did send me to genetic testing. Um, and I did find out through that process that I was a BRCA2. Um, I don't want to say carrier because we all have BRCA2 genes. Mine just happens to be defective right? Doesn't function properly. So, um, but you knew, right? I mean, you knew from a young age. I knew if I ever had cancer that it had to be linked to something. And ironically, what I wanted to be as an adult when I was in high school was a genetic counselor. Really? Yes. It's such like this weird circle of, I did not end up being a genetic counselor. Um, How come? But, I have to ask. <laughs> you know what? Me and chemistry, we do not get along. We <laughs> just. This is why I asked. We are not friends. We are not friends. Biology and I are friends. Math, friends. Chemistry, not friends. We're not. So tell me, you got the genetic testing and then what were your options? Were you looking at a lumpectomy, mastectomy? Well, because of the BRCA2 diagnosis, what I thought initially with breast cancer 
I thought I'd just knock it out. I'm like, they got it in stage one. I'm going to have the Mm -hmm. surgeries, do the chemo, do the things, and I'm done. Well, because of my diagnosis, my treatment plan went from what I thought was going to be tiny to this way more big plan. I don't even know a word for it. This massive epic thing that would then take two years of my life. Well, talk, um, talk us through it. What was step one? Yeah. So the f- the first thing that I had done was a lumpectomy. And okay. I could have combined that with um, a mastectomy. However, we hadn't gotten confirmation back uh, from the genetic testing. And so my doctor right. said, we can do a lumpectomy, get the tests, or you can wait to get the test, then make decisions. And I was just like, no way. Like we are doing this ASAP because, you know, at some point my breast had no cancer cells and one magical day it did. And I, in the back of my head, thought to myself, I'm not waiting one more day because that one more day can mean the difference between a type one or I mean a stage one or a stage two. So I said, I'm not waiting. If that means I have an extra surgery, then I have an extra surgery. Let's just, I want to keep this bus moving. And that's really how I've always been raised. Um, I'm a doer. So when I got cancer thrown at me, I'm like, boom, let's go. Let's just get, let's get things lined up. Let's tick off what needs to happen. I'm going to let the doctors focus on what they can do. And I'll just take care of those things that I'm in control of. And so I wasted no time in scheduling surgery. So what it ended up looking like was I had the lumpectomy, came back with genetic testing. Um, They decided to do chemo first for 12 weeks. um, And then based on the type of cancer, also had a treatment plan for a year of um, Herceptin. Um, because of Were the you t- too positive? T- yes, I was. Yeah. And you know, okay. what is so interesting before I had cancer, like the word cancer gets thrown around in our society. It's like, oh, you have brain cancer and breast cancer and this cancer and that cancer. And you just, it starts to seem like cancer is this thing, this one thing. And after going through all this, I tell everybody, cancer is like a Jenga game. It's like we all have these towers, right, of cancer in our body, but mine has the missing piece at level three in the middle and yours has the missing piece at level 12 in the front. And it's such a great analogy that I've never heard before. I love it. Oh yeah. So because it's, I think it's easy for people to wrap their head around like, oh, Oh, like there's that many pieces and parts and receptors and cancer. And that's what makes everyone's treatment and so different and so unique to, to the individual. And, and, um, so what, even what I got as a BRCA2 person looks different than someone else who may have had BRCA2. Um, but yes, I was HER2 positive and, 
uh, had that for a year. So I had chemo first and then because of, you know, the risk factors that I face with other types of cancer, I also had, um, you know, a radical hysterectomy. So I had everything taken out. So my big surgery. So I'm going to back up a little bit. So after chemotherapy, is that when you had a mastectomy? So after chemotherapy, I pleaded with my doctor to give me until January to have surgery because in the timeline of all of this, my birthday's in May. So I was diagnosed in May, lumpectomy in June, started chemo in July, finished in October. And then I was looking at, you know, November and December. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's Christmas, there's Thanksgiving, there's New Year's. And I thought, I don't want to be bald for those. I, I mean, I was going to be bald. I don't want to be recovering from surgery right? during all these times when I can see family and, and be with friends. And so the doctor agreed that I could wait until January. So it was um, the end of January that I went in for a six-hour surgery, which gotta love anesthesia uh, because truly surgery is hardest on those that have to wait. For the person getting it, I was asleep and then I was awake, <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. And so to me, it was like, boom, done. But, you know, to all my friends and my family who were just waiting, I mean, six hours I was in surgery. I had a bilateral mastectomy, which means I had both breasts taken off. Um, and I had made the decision to have implants start a reconstructive process. Um, so they had to put expanders, which would then over time give a little bit more skin to put the implants in. And then I also had the radic a radical hysterectomy because my chances for potentially developing ovarian cancer were, I didn't even want to think about it. And so really right. my choice, and that's really what it is it, that people may not understand, but it was my choice to have a bilateral mastectomy. I could have just had one breast taken off and everything else could have stayed. Um, but since I'm a doer and since I wanted this to be my one time with cancer, I was very happy to um, step up and let them have it all so that I would not have a constant, you know, worry. Yeah. I think Angelina Jolie helped put this on the map with absolutely Rocketeer, right? Because absolutely. she did the same thing. She yeah. had both breasts removed. She had a radical hysterectomy. Right. Now she had already had children. Do you have children? I do not. I do not. And um, there was probably only one year of my life that I thought I wanted them. So I am proudly a fun aunt <laughs> to some nieces and nephew. So I'm I'm very happy in that role. So. 
Yeah. I'm happy for you because that Thanks. would have been quite the loss. Yes. I've known a few, few women, young women who had ovarian cancer, needed their ovaries removed. Some chose to store their eggs. Some did not, you know, but that's expensive. Right. It is. And, it is. And, and, and difficult. I, I can't imagine that. And, you know, bringing up Angelina Jolie, all of hers was prophylactic, right? She never had cancer. So she because had all the other women in her family had. Yeah. Right, right. And so right. she saw yeah. what happened. So she, but I, you know, I can't imagine my decision, my choice, I don't like to use the word decision, my, my choice to have this done um, was easy because I didn't, I had already gone through the chemo. I did not want to have to go through that again. So from my perspective, my choice was easy to let everything go. I can't imagine what mental dilemmas I would have gone through if I knew I was BRCA2 and did not yet have cancer. It's an excellent point. You know, and so- Do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother. Um, and BRCA2, this can also impact men. And so he right. did get tested um, and he was, he did not have, um, his gene functions quite well. <laughs> I'm so mine, glad. I'm really glad. Mine, not so much. So um, yeah. And then I did, I do have, um, my mom had two sisters. Um, and so- I let all my cousins know. So did everyone get tested? Not everyone. And and that's another, you know, I had one um one aunt who said she just didn't want to know. She's like, I don't want to know if I have it. Right. And that's that's her choice, right? Um yeah. but her daughter did get tested because I made sure to She's young, you know, she's younger than I am. I'm the the eldest of all of uh, the cousins. And so I just shared with her, I said, I know your mom doesn't want to know, but I highly encourage you to get, to find out if you are so inclined. So she did and And she was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else who chose to get tested was negative. So, and my dad got tested because them. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and my dad was tested. And so it was just, that was confirmation that yes, it absolutely came from my mom's side. Sure. So you go through this surgery and I'm not just going to say radical hysterectomy, radical surgery, because I've had a hysterectomy, radical hysterectomy. And it's so fun just waking up in menopause. Um, uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and then you're on her septum for a year. Yep. What, if anything, after that, did your treatment include? So the other thing that is amazing to me is how fast science advances. Because when I first started the prescribed regimen that I was going to be on was going to be Herceptin and then done. Well, as we got closer to the end of Herceptin, they said, 
okay, more studies have come in, they've done more research, and now um, an infusion called Zomita, which is used for people um, with bone loss, get osteoporosis, uh, get because it helps infuse calcium into their bones. And so they said what they have found that people with my profile who receive Zomita uh, lower their risk of recurrence even further. Really? Um, Yeah. Because uh, the place where, as I understand, I am not a medical doctor. I'll just say that right now. Um, oh, as I, disclaimers. Okay, good. good. <laughs> um, as I understand, you know, breast cancer, if it does start to circulate in the body, likes to find a home in your brain or in your leg, your, the biggest bone in your body. And so they found with Somita helping... Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. So I'm thinking of someone I know who has metastatic breast cancer and it it came back in her leg. Oh, yeah. That is fascinating. I know. So was this a one-time infusion or over a period of time? Yeah. It was every six months for two years. Okay. Um, Yeah. Which wasn't horrible. It's a very um, quick infusion. But I think because I had a radical hysterectomy and was immediately put into um, menopause. Menopause also brings on, you know, bone density loss and all of that. And so that is, I think, someone with my profile and who had the surgeries that I did, because I was so early, not early, who knows when I would have gone into menopause, but put into menopause and the bone loss could have started right away they wanted that to help lessen. So yeah, I'm at this point, from what I understand from my doctors is that I'm like at a 1% recurrence rate. Wow. Because I've had... How does that make you feel? Good. (laughs) I mean, do I think that I still have a chance to get cancer again. Heck yeah. You know, there's, I have so many scars on my body at this point. There is no way for me to escape being reminded mm-hmm. of what I've gone through. Um, and having those reminders, okay, I'm, I'm on the right side of the ground. I wake up every morning and I'm grateful to be alive and experience life. Um, but there is always, even even though I know my chance of breast cancer is very low, there's it's not zero, you know? It will right. never be zero. Um, so every once in a while I think about it or if I have a pain in my leg, you know, the first thing my brain does is, okay, we got to pay attention. Let's make sure this doesn't last long. You know, maybe you just worked out too hard or did something you didn't realize. So I think it's normal to make you hypervigilant. Yes. 
And I like that. I think I like how you phrase that. Hyper vigilant. Yes. Yeah. Not worried. Vigilant. Tell me, Penny, what was your worst moment in all of it? The worst moment was when I came home after that six hour long surgery and I had drains, which I don't know if everybody that has breast cancer gets sent home with drains because of my reconstruction. I did. Uh, Worst experience ever. I I just, there's nothing about them I like. Um, I'm already dreading them because, you know, uh, implants do not have the lifespan that a natural born body does. And so I know I'm going to have to have them replaced once, maybe twice in my lifetime. And each time I'll get to get to have those fun little drains hanging around uh, with me for a while. But um, yeah, it was just, I, I, it was hard for me to sleep. And when you don't get sleep, you can't think straight and just, there was nothing about drains that I liked. That was the worst. I can endure everything else. I could endure hair loss. I can endure getting a port, uh, you know, installed for, my infusions, all of that drains by far worst. Yeah. How about your best moment? You know, my best moment. So I had made the choice to shave all of my hair off before I started chemo. Um, I used to have hair down to my shoulders I had a big swath of it blonde. Um, and I just started thinking, I'm a planner. I'm a doer. I asked my doctor, when do you lose your hair? And he said, you'll usually start losing it around week three. So I was mapped it out. I had all the dates. I'm like, okay, this is the day that it's going to start falling out. So let's back it up a few days. And then find I had obsessed so much over when I was going to shave my hair off because I thought I, I personally could not handle um, waking up one day and seeing all of it like peace out on my pillow or running my hands through my hair and like half of it. I, that was something I was not mentally willing to go through. So I said, I'm going to lose it anyway. I might as well be in control of it. So I just decided at the last minute, the day before I went in for my first chemo, got a pair of clippers, went to town in my bathroom. And doing that was very empowering for me um, because if someone had said, even a year earlier, I will give you a million dollars if you shave your head, I would be like, you're crazy. No, thank you. After shaving my head, dude, that would have been a mistake to turn down a million dollars to shave my head <laughs> because hair grows back. Yeah. Uh, it's only temporary. Uh, I was fortunate. I had a good noggin. I didn't do yeah, anything you, to get you it. Like you do. Um, so I look good. And honestly, no 
one cared. No one cared that I had no hair. And if they did, nobody ever said anything. In fact, I had people coming up to me in stores, like, just like, you look good. Like not saying, do you have cancer? That wasn't what they led with. It was just, wow, like your hair. I'm like, thanks. So now I keep it real short. Like I, I keep it shaved on the side. <laughs> I certainly don't spend as much money on, on hairspray and all of that anymore. It's, it, that was a beautiful thing. That was a good thing. Happy thing that came out of all of this. Penny, what is one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning when you were right there in that office with that doctor and the radiologist how noisy it is when you get chemo really are you talking about the clinic or yes really i i i don't know why in the 12 weeks that i had chemo i didn't just go get a pair of noise canceling headphones (laughs) i did not but you know you don't see cancer when you're out and about in your day, but when you're in the infusion wing of, and you see how many people are receiving infusions, chemo related products to sure. get rid of their cancer, all the machines that are beeping and the, you know, the shuffling of the nurses and the doctors and the people and the, it's, you know, you already are anxious. You're already just tired. Um, I just wish I would have had noise canceling headphones. I love that. I think that's great advice for the hospital too, because the hospitals are so noisy. It's impossible to sleep. And you know what? Actually, yes. And I thought, now, why don't they just have these available? You know, even during COVID, you can alcohol them down and give people just so that you can have some peace and quiet. Honestly, that is the biggest. Everything else, I don't know. For me, it's just my personality. I learned as I experienced it because I knew even if people told me what to expect, it's like Jenga again, right? You can't possibly experience or have the same cancer experience as someone with your exact same profile because something will be slightly different. And so I appreciated all the doctors and nurses and, and, uh, you know, pamphlets and information that I got on, here's what you can expect in here. But like, for instance, for me, I never lost all my hair. Um, I always had peach fuzz. Like I was never a cue ball, always had peach fuzz. Oh, so I, I always had peach fuzz and, um, you know, first of all, it it was slightly concerning because in my mind I was like, dude, the chemo is supposed to kill everything that grows fast. If it can't take care of all the hair on my head, it better be taking care of all the cancer or any cancer that's left. So to me, that was a sign like, did you give me the highest dose? Did you make it what it needed to be? Um, but May anyway. I share my theory? Yeah, go ahead. So 
this happened to my sister and it's happened to a few other people I know who, especially if you already had really thick hair to begin with, if you proactively shaved your head, my sister didn't lose her hair follicles. And I know other people who didn't either. So they they didn't have really? that shiny cue ball, to use your words, look. Okay. They did still have – we tried to – we used Nair. My sister really wanted it to be gone. And we couldn't even Nair it off, okay? It yeah. would not – I was scrubbing with Nair <laughs> and, and it wouldn't work. And oh now goodness. women who – I shouldn't say women. People who had very thin hair to begin with, that was not the case. But – so far, every person I know who was proactive and had thick hair to begin begin with, they still had their hair follicles. Wow. Well, I did shave yeah. it before it. Yeah. It's interesting. So, it's just a theory. <laughs> yes. Perhaps. All right. Someday. So, Penny. Yes. If you could only do one thing, you get one to change healthcare in the U.S. What would it be, and why? I would make it universal health care. I, I still can't fathom why the richest country in the world has people who are, are sick and dying and can't or won't get help because of the expense or the access. I, it just... It blows my mind. It breaks my heart. Um, there's got to be. Other countries can do it. We can do it. All right. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? <gasps> Absolutely. Okay, here we go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Mountains. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Sparkler. <laughs> and see, I thought you were going to say doer, but I like sparkler too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Extraordinary Machine by Fiona Apple. Okay, I need to go listen to that. What about the last meal you want to eat? Ooh, big plate of sushi. And the last person or people you want to see? That was really, that, that's a hard question. I would just say my partner. Yeah. And the last words you will speak. Remember, today you get to choose and evolve. And aside from Cancer U, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you and get your book. Yes. Thank you so much. So, wow. So many good resources. Honestly, I didn't use really any. Uh, I felt my journey was mine and other than being introduced to a, a community group that was free for cancer patients, I didn't really seek out additional things. Um, however, if you are going through breast cancer, if you have 
someone close to you going through breast cancer, if you are a healthcare provider who treats people with breast cancer, my memoir is not only funny, but it is insightful and it will give you a glimpse into what might go through the person you love or are treating, what they go through on a daily basis, because I truly take people through, it's almost like a diary on a day by day, but please understand with a title like how to get a free boob job, there is plenty of humor in this book and it may bring you down, but it will lift you right back up. And how your listeners can get in touch with me is visit my website. It is pennycastleman.com. And there you can read an excerpt from my memoir. You can purchase it. You can also purchase my book on Amazon. Um, And you can just keep up with me there and see what I'm up to. Awesome. We will put that in a workshop in the show notes. Penny, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.